welcome to the Let's Go Deeper podcast with me, Tony Lagaris. This is a space for us to connect around the Word of God and grow deeper in our walk with God together. Whether you're listening on the go, multitasking it while you're getting it done, or sitting with a hot cup of coffee or tea, I'm glad you're here. Let's go deeper. I'm excited about diving deep this week, and actually I'm sharing a podcast that I posted on another podcast that I do called uh, Better Together Sisterhood. And it's coming out of the Christmas story. I know it's January and you'll hear kind of the the history behind that. But if you're interested, as you listen to it in the other podcast that we talked about that had to do with Christmas, you can go find those on the Sisterhood Better Together podcast. So let's dive a little deeper this week and talk about prayer. I know I said last week that we were done looking at the Christmas story, but I kind of want to start there. Um, But we're not going to talk about Christmas. We're not going to talk about Advent. What we're going to talk about today, I'm so excited about, um, it's who can God use? And what we're going to do is just kind of glance through the Christmas story and see who he used there, and then to branch out and see who he's using today and how do we pray in the, these last days that we're living in? And so I know it's January, well into January. Um, let's just glance one more quick time at the Christmas story. We're not going to read it. We're just going to glance at the characters. And um, I guess my big question is, how many of you still have your Christmas tree up? So I am completely guilty of having my Christmas tree up still. My record actually is taking for taking it down is February 19th. So I fully intend to get it down before February 19th this year. It's just still up. I don't have time to enjoy it in December because everything is so crazy busy that I like to sit when things slow down in January and just enjoy the twinkle lights of my Christmas tree. So mine is still up. So maybe that's why I'm still thinking about Christmas. We did just take it down at the church. So everything at the church is down and put away. But my personal Christmas trees, because I have one in my room, my bedroom, and I have one in the living room. And hopefully next year, I'll have one in the basement. A great room that we have down there. But this year, all my trees and all my decorations are still up. I am done eating Christmas cookies, though. Back to eating healthy. Um, We're not going to stay here in the Christmas story, but we're going to start here. And I am super convinced that we could look at the Christmas story every week of the year and see something new, but we're not going to do that. I promise this is the last week this year in January in this series that we're going to talk about the Christmas story. And as I continued to ponder it, I thought about it from the, this aspect. And I just said this, but who did God use? And I know what you're thinking. We're already looked at all of that in detail. We looked at all of the people that God used, all the people that were involved. And we looked at that in great detail. And you're right. But what I want to do this week is take a step back and look at it with a little less detail and then jump off of here and go a different direction. And so we're going to look at kind of their vocation, look at their overarchingness of who they are in who God used. And we want to take heart to see who God can use today. Just remember, we saw first Zechariah, and we want to note that he was a minister. He was a priest. He was a minister. 
Um, he was in a vocational ministry, and he was well stricken in years, which means he was very old. And then we saw his wife, Elizabeth, also used, also well stricken and very old, but she was a housewife. She didn't have a job outside the home. She just stayed home, and she was a housewife. And then we saw Mary, who was a teenager. God used a teenager in the first coming of Christ. And then we have all kinds of angelic activities. And so he used angelic beings in the first coming of Christ. And then we saw the shepherds, who were likely all different ages from young to old. And they were just lay people. They were in the workforce. They weren't someone who you would call a vocational minister. And so then we saw Simeon and Anna, who the Bible calls prophets. And so they were a little more along the lines of what we would call vocational ministers. We saw Joseph, who was just a man in his 20s. He was likely 20-something. And he was a man who worked and was a carpenter. And God used him in a supernatural way in the first coming of Christ. And then we see the wise men coming from a far off land to fund the life of Jesus as they brought all of those expensive gifts. And they were non-Christians. And so we see non-Christian wealthy people that were connected to the first coming of Christ. And also, we didn't talk about this guy, but very used in the first coming of Christ was Caesar Augustus. And he was the heathen leader over the land at the time that the census was called, when Jesus was ready to be born. And that census was to determine how much more to tax the people. And so God used a heathen king who brought into a tax to cause scripture and prophecy to come to pass. And so God used a heathen king and he used a tax, which I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy Paying taxes. How many of you out there like April 15th tax day? You love the day that we get to turn in all of the money we still owe the government in taxes. And But God used these things to bring prophecy to pass. He used all of these people groups and all of these different ages in the first coming of the Lord. And I just want to say he's going to do it again for the second coming of the Lord. It's not just ministers. It's not just older people. It's all ages. It's from the teenagers on up. And it's ministers, lay people, shepherds, wise men, carpenters, teachers, lawyers, housewives, stay-at-home moms, working moms, schooling moms, homeschool moms. He's going to use all of us in every age, in every genre, in every vocation in his second coming. So let's not be surprised when he has his prey for any or all of these people groups. And so I want to look at this and we're going to kind of shift over to prayer and the subject of prayer because we see um, a lot of these people represented in what God told Elijah to do in the final stage of his ministry. And so if you remember in 1 Kings 18, if you haven't read it, go back and read it. It's a very fascinating account of what Elijah did and that there was a drought because he said it wouldn't rain. And then God said, it's going to rain. And in between those two things, he had that whole confrontation with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel where... The offering was consumed by fire from heaven, and then he ran away. He was afraid for his life, and he ran away, ran to the mountain of God. And But what we want to look at is what happened on the mountain of God. 
And we're going to look starting in verse 14. While the end of 13, it says, And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 15, Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, Then anoint, I want you to say anoint out loud, Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to be prophet in your room. Anyone who escapes from Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I preserved 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And so what I want to look at this is who he told Elijah to anoint, because this is, this is what happened right after he was in the cave hiding and God said, come out, I'm going to talk to you. And there was an earthquake and there was a wind and there was a fire, but it said God wasn't in any of those. He was in that still small voice. He was in the whisper. Even though he had been, God had been and revealed himself in all of those ways in previous points of scripture here in this particular moment, he wasn't any of those spectacular things, he was a silent whisper of the still small voice calling to Elijah. And when we hear people teach on this section of scripture, they stop there and say, oh, we need to listen to the still small voice. And I agree. If Elijah had only been focused on or wanting some spectacular thing from God, he would have stopped with the fire, the earthquake, and the wind, but he didn't. He waited for the still small voice. He waited for God. He didn't wait for some spectacular thing. He waited to say, where are you and how are you coming now? And God came in that still small voice. But we don't want to stop there. What we just read was what that still small voice said. Elijah heard in that still small voice the final directive for his ministry, and it was to anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, anoint Jehu to be king in Israel, and anoint Elisha to take his place. And there was a purpose for that. God had a purpose and a plan that he wanted to fill on, fulfill on the earth, and it was to eliminate Baal worship from the face of the earth. And he was first going to do it through Hazael, king of Aram, because it said anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu. So he was going to use Hazael in this, to this end. He was going to use Jehu to this end, and he was going to use Elisha to this very end and for this very purpose. And who were these people? Hazael was going to be a heathen king of a heathen nation. God used him. Jehu was a king who wasn't necessarily a God-serving king or a God-seeking king like David was. So he was basically a heathen king of of Israel is what he was going to be. And then Elisha, who we would automatically say, yes, he should have anointing on him. He's going to be a prophet. There's a minister there. But I find it very interesting that he uses the word anointing. Anoint Hazael to be king in a heathen land. A heathen king in a heathen land. Anoint Jehu to be a heathen king in a, in a godly land. And he came around to serve God in some ways. 
and anoint Elisha the prophet to be prophet in, to be prophet in your place. And the only one we think of with anointing is a minister, but who God said was going to have anointing and where he wanted Elijah to put the anointing and administer the anointing was to he, to a heathen king and to a king of Israel. The anointing isn't just a goosebump or a miracle. The anointing is God's power and ability to accomplish his will on the earth. So we need to expand what we think of the anointing. And we're going to look at that a little bit later because what we want to, or in another episode, we're going to just talk about prayer right right now here in this section of scripture. So Elijah did this physically, this anointing, but he didn't all do it all personally. He sent a servant to anoint Haziel, and he sent a servant to anoint Jehu. Elisha was the only one that he anointed personally himself. And it wasn't that he had to do it himself personally, but God was entrusting him to steward it and make sure that it got done. He was to see to it that it got done. He didn't feel the need to do it all himself. And I just think, Lord, help us all with that. We don't have to do it all ourselves. If he puts something in our hands and in our heart to do, our question to him is, Father, how should I steward this? Is this for me to do? Is this just for me to oversee? Is this for me to delegate? Like what happens with this? But he dispensed anointing either through his servants or through himself to these three people. But we dispense anointing in these days, in these last days, through our prayer. And I'm going to read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, because this uh, talks specifically about praying for kings, for all men, but for kings and for leaders and all who are in authority. And it says, I urge you, this is Timothy, or this is Paul talking to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way also for kings and and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I want to just look at this maybe from a little bit different angle because we are to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live a godly and peaceable life and all godliness, a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. Why? For mission, for purpose, for the spread of the gospel, because God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just like he told Elijah to dispense anointing on those three people for his purpose to be accomplished in this earth, he wants us to dispense anointing to different people and places and people groups so that his plan and purpose can can come to pass on this earth so that the gospel can go forth to every creature and then the end can come. So Paul and Peter did this until the day they were martyred, prayed for kings and all who were in authority. They were martyred by the government they were praying for. Let's just think about that for a second. So it didn't necessarily change overnight. Their prayers didn't change that government overnight, but also their prayers didn't expire because God did move and things did change. But our prayers don't expire. And we saw that with Zechariah and Elizabeth way back in that episode. But we need to kind of hone in here on the purpose that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, well, he wants us to live a godly and peaceable lives so that 
all men can be saved. And sometimes we think about that from the from the um, perspective of it's got to be peaceful on the outside. It's got to be peaceful in the community. It's got to be peaceful through the government. It's got to be peaceful in my nation to be able to preach the gospel and have it spread. But that's the opposite of what we see when we look at Paul and Peter and Timothy and what happened in the New Testament and even in the first few hundred years of church history is that it was very turbulent in the government. It was ter- very turbulent in the nation, but the gospel took off like wildfire. And so when I looked at this one day and said, he wants us to live uh, quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty, you know, peace starts on the inside. When you pray in faith and you know you are leaving this in God's hands and opening the door for him to move and dispensing anointing and power and the plan of God in this direction to get his hand involved on the earth, it brings so much peace to you internally. And when are you more likely to share the gospel? When you're at peace on the inside. When are you more likely to tell your friends about Jesus? When you're anxious? Mm -mm. When you're anxious, all you can think about is what's making you anxious. It's all you talk about. It's all you think about. Keeps you up at night. But when you live in a place of peace, you can't help but share the gospel. And honestly, if you live in a place of peace internally in a time where everything's turbulent in your nation, it's going to draw attention to that peace. And people are going to come to you and ask you, how can you be so calm right now? And it opens the door for the spread of the gospel. Think about that for a minute. It opens the door for the spread of the gospel when you live in eternal internal peace. The disciples lived a life of internal peace. And because they lived a life of prayer, they had peace on the inside. And because they prayed and they trusted the one that they prayed to, and they did not count their lives as the most important thing to them, but God was more important. Mission was more important. The great commission was more important. They had had the perspective If I perish, I perish. My life is, I count not my life dear to myself. Because they had this perspective, they had peace on the inside. And they were able to effectively spread the gospel in the midst of turbulent times on the outside. God is not as concerned about our external comfort as we are. And when the wicked are ruling, we need to dispense power in their direction all the more. And I think sometimes the church just withholds it and we hold it to ourselves and we're like, ah, they couldn't change anything. God could never use them, but God did. God used heathen kings in history and he can use heathen kings in future and he can use heathen kings right now if his church is willing to look in his direction and trust him and dispense power and dispense anointing towards them. God can and will and needs to use all leaders, even heathen leaders in his plans and his purposes for the second coming of Jesus. So historically, let's look at a couple of the people. He used Pilate in the crucifixion, right? Pilate's the one who made the decision to crucify Jesus. His disciples would not have made that decision. They never would have. Peter didn't want that to happen. He rebuked Jesus, took him aside, and rebuked him privately when he said he was going to to die. 
The disciples wouldn't have made that decision. The religious leaders did not have the power to make that decision. A good, godly leader would never have made that decision. He needed a heathen leader in a position of authority to make the decision to crucify Jesus. He needed that. He needed that. And people prayed in that direction. Remember, we talked about Simeon and Anna. And so then we have Cyrus. If you look back in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Cyrus was even king, God called him by name and called him his anointed and said, he will do all of my pleasure. Let's pray for the leaders and all the leaders, even the heathen leaders to be used for God's purposes and in God's plans as he sees fit. We need to live in peace and do our part to spread the gospel. And our living in peace in these turbulent times may be just the sight that someone else needs and just the sign that they need to come to God. So this is our job, to dispense the anointing just like Elijah did to heathen kings, to godly kings, and to the ministers of the gospel and to the lay people. We want to dispense it everywhere we go to everyone he could possibly use, just like all those we mentioned, the shepherds, the lay people, the carpenters, the teachers. We all need anointing dispensed to us through prayer. And just don't be surprised if God starts to put heathen kings on your heart to pray for them or start to to give you an unction or just some kind of a burden or keeps putting your thoughts in a direction of a certain person or people group. Don't just think about them. Dispense power in their direction. Say, Father, I just pray for the teenagers today. The teenagers in your church, Father, fill them with the fire of God. Fill them with the power of God. Give them a hunger for more of you and give them a fire to reach their generation for Christ and anointing to do it in Jesus' name. It's not hard. And so maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll just talk about some scriptures and praying the word for these different people groups so that we can be participating with God in this. Amen. Amen. So we'll do that. So I pray for you that this week, I that love the word of God, God and now it's changed my life your heart the years and open your eyes and out. begin to move. And there's always a deeper prayer in the direction more to of dispensing and more anointing. I hope you come you back never next week for another deeper dive. We can do this. We can be effective like this for the kingdom of God right where we are. In the car, run it with friends, over the sink, it really does help other people. laundry. We want to go deeper to church, at home, everywhere we go. Let's be effective. We will never fully mature and be all that we can be in God if we don't connect to the body. I love the word of God and how it has changed my life through the years. If you need help finding one, please reach out to us and there's always a deeper place to go. More to see and more to know. Until next time, I hope you come back next week for another deeper dive. If this podcast has helped you go deeper in God, do us a favor, comment, share it with a friend, leave a review. It really does help other people who want to go deeper to find us too podcasts aren't enough. We will never fully mature and be all that we can be in God if we don't connect to the body, if we don't connect to a local church. If you need help finding one, please reach out to us and we'll do everything we can to help you connect. Until next time, keep going deeper.